God. This is where we're going tonight. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. How many of you like that one? If you like that one, you're a Texan, right? But Jesus said, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one that asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. None of those verses does my flesh like. None of them. Right? Let's go on. You have heard that it was said, love your enemy and hate, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Because if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Don't the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? So be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing and your goodness. We thank you for your presence. And we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us tonight. How we need your word. Lord, how we need to understand your word. How we need this heavenly manna to strengthen our hearts, carry us, Fill us. Give us wisdom. And so, Lord, may the good word of God be engrafted into our souls tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, good to see you in the house of God tonight. And, and, and Ronnie, you see this guy here? You need to like him and shake his hand because he's the one who said, the one with the beard right there. Yeah, there you go. All right. Now, um, I'm just calling this tonight according to the verses, eye for eye and love your enemies. Um, now, verses 38 to 42, let me just remind you that the Sermon on the Mount comes in themes. As a matter of fact, I memorized it uh, years ago, the whole Sermon on the Mount, to renew my mind. It was a warfare I was having, and one of the ways that I won the battle was just memorizing the Word of God because I believe the Word of God is perfect restoring your mind. Amen? And so uh, I memorized the Sermon on the Mount. One thing, or one way I did it was I divided it into sections or themes because Jesus taught in themes. And so this tonight has to do with um, being wronged. What is the kingdom response to being wronged? Okay? That's what it's about. It's a response to personal injustices. And if you live in the world, and we all do, there's going to be a personal injustice. You're going to experience them. I'm going to experience them. Things we didn't deserve, things that shouldn't have been done are going to be done. And we're going to get offended. And uh, so much of walking with the Lord depends on how you handle offense. Because an offense can stop you in your tracks for decades if you let it. So... This is about, uh, verses 38 to 42 are about kingdom response 
What's the kingdom response to these personal injustices? Now, listen very carefully to what I'm going to tell you. This is so important to understanding the Sermon on the Mount, and this is how it's been so misunderstood through the years. It's very important to understand that Jesus is teaching the proper spirit or attitude of a Christian life. He is not giving hard and fast rules to be literally interpreted and carried out no matter your circumstances. All right? Not everything taught in the Sermon on the Mount is to be taken literally. Don't pluck your eye out. Don't cut your hand off. Right? Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses exaggeration to make a point. And so we're not to run with the exaggeration. Now, in verses 38 to 39, again, he says, you've heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I'm telling you, don't resist an evil person. That's not to be taken literally. I'm going to show you what I mean. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Is that to be taken literally? I think this is probably one of the most misunderstood teachings Jesus ever delivered. Okay? He first points out the old law. This is what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, meaning the Mosaic law, Old Testament. You've heard that it was said by them of old time. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Okay? So he points out the law under Moses, and what he's doing here is he's showing that this law about uh, eye for eye and tooth for tooth was directed to judges in courts to inflict penalties precisely equivalent or equal to the offense. This is the Mosaic law to judges, not to the common man. An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. If somebody knocks your tooth out, knock theirs out. Just if somebody slaps you, you slap them back. If somebody, uh, whatever you you give them, the the judge was to judge with equanimity. He was to say, "This is what happened, so there needs to be payback or um, justice, and it's to be as you receive, so give." All right. So equal justice under the law. Boy, if that was alive today be a whole lot less crime going on. Here's the way Moses gave it to them, Exodus 21, 23. But if there is a serious injury caused to another, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. I think we get the point. Okay? Now, that instruction was given primarily to guard against excessive retaliation. That's what it was given for. When somebody was harmed, they were to take it to court. And the judge was to divvy out equal justice under the law for wrongs done. But instead of confining it to judges, by the time of Jesus, the Jews had extended it to private conduct so that if you come up and let's just say you kick me, then right there on the spot, I'm going to execute justice, and I'm going to do exactly back to you, and then some. And then they would say, but Moses' law gives me the right to do this. 
And so you had not just equal justice, but excessive retribution, and they would appeal to Moses when they did it. Now, this is what Jesus was addressing when he said, no, 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 I say to you, all right? He takes a stand against this. He said the law that Moses gave doesn't have any reference to private revenge. You can't take the law into your own hands, and especially if it's excessive, all right? Let it go to the judge. Let it go to court. So now, when Jesus said, don't resist an evil person, he did not mean we're to sit by and watch our families get slaughtered by a bunch of savages. Are you with me? Because if you take it literally, don't, don't ever resist an evil person. That'll get you in big trouble. So here's an example. This is something that we've really got to dig and understand what he meant. Because he's not saying, he's not teaching total fatal passivity. That is not what he's teaching. So, so if savages break into my house and they're going after my family, I'm not to sit on the couch and say, praise the Lord. Are you with me? No way. I'm going to guard and protect my family. That's why the Second Amendment is a good amendment. Because if, if, if you want something to defend yourself, self-defense is natural to nature. He did not mean we're not to practice self If somebody comes up and starts beating on you, do you just sit there and say, well, I'm not to resist evil. Have at it. No. We wonder about you if you do that. Right? That would fly in the face. Even a little doodle bug defends itself. God wired it into all life to defend itself. He's not teaching against self-defense. Can I be clear? You get it. Are you with me? He's not teaching. Don't defend yourself. So he takes it further. He says, if anybody uh, slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, with what we were just talking about, don't resist an evil person, right down to the slapping of the cheek, Jesus is dealing and he's focused on trivial, minor things, not major the idea was that we're not to be easily brought into a conflict, okay? We're to avoid a conflict if we can. That's what the child of God is to do, peacemaker. We're to avoid a conflict if we can. We're not to easily drag somebody into court at the drop of a hat. We're not to allow ourselves to be uh, obsessively occupied with trivial conflicts, have you ever noticed the devil will bring you into constant little conflicts all the time if you let him? It says in the Proverbs that it's, a, that it's a, an honor for a man to overlook a minor offense. Just overlook it. You know, what do you do when a gnat flies around your head? Do you jump up and go get your twenty-two and come back out and shoot it? No, it's a gnat. So, so you, you treat it like a gnat. You just brush it away. Folks, there's some things we're just supposed to brush away. And don't let it become a hornet if it's only a gnat. 
Don't let yourself be knocked down by trivial things all the time or that's all you will ever do in this life. That's why our nation is so sad right now because everybody's offended by something. And most of the offenses, if they had any godly character at all, they would just overlook it and move on down the road. Okay? Somebody honks at you on the highway. You know, it's not a reason to pull over and get into a fight and lose your life. Right? So, that in mind, if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn it in the other also. Now, what is the slap? Because I don't like that verse until I understand it. If somebody slaps me, I'm supposed to turn the other cheek and say, try that again. Or do that again in the name of the Lord to the glory of God. There's something in me that just won't go there right? So what is the slap? He's speaking here of minor personal slights of any kind, symbolized by a slap. It's like the passages we read about that I've already mentioned, where Jesus says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Is that literal? No, no, please don't take that literally. If your hand offends you, cut it off. No. What's he doing? He's using hyperbole, exaggeration, to make a point, we need to take sin seriously. And if need be, be uh, uh, ruthless with it. Uh, don't mess with it because sin will burn you. But you don't pluck your eye out. You don't cut your hand off. In the same way, I don't believe he's literally telling us to turn the other cheek and let somebody, intentionally let somebody abuse us. It's just not what I get out of it. Nope. The slap here does not, for the most part, involve literal physical violence. I've never known anybody in my whole Christian life who turned the other cheek so they could be slapped again. I never have. It's so quiet in here. Well, I thought that's what it said, Pastor Jeff. It is what it says, but is it literal? Plucking the eye out isn't. Cutting the hand off isn't. John 18, 22 to 23. Here's one reason I don't think it's literal, because Jesus didn't do it. Jesus didn't do it. John 18, 22. One of the officers who stood by, who stood by this is at Jesus' arrest, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Now, one, he didn't turn the other cheek. Two, he answered with truth. He responded. He, he stood up for what he had said. He did not turn the other cheek. But he's the one that taught it. I don't believe that he meant that literally. Paul didn't do it either. In Acts 23... We read this, instantly Ananias the high priest. Now Paul is facing the Sanhedrin. And Ananias the high priest commanded somebody close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. <laughs> Paul did anything but turn the other cheek. This is the living Bible. But here's what he said. God will slap you, you whitewashed pig pen. Everybody say, that's not turning the other cheek. And then he says, he answered with truth. Listen to this. What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me to be struck like that against the law? 
He stood up for himself. Well, how come Jesus didn't turn the other cheek? How come Paul didn't turn the other cheek? Because I don't believe for the most part that it's literal. I believe it has to do, it's figurative, and it has to do with walking in a spirit and an attitude of peace. And we're to trust God with insults that come at us. Somebody insults you, it's a slap. You will note this, in, in our day, a slap in the face is a metaphor for an unexpected insult or offense. We walk away, we say, well, that was a real slap in the face. What was? An insult. So if somebody insults you, comes against you, attacks you, figuratively speaking, metaphorically slaps you, Jesus, the, the, the spirit behind what Jesus is teaching here is you let it go, you give it to God, and you don't involve yourself in retaliation. For the most part, if somebody's attacking me and beating on me, I'm retaliating. But if somebody insults me, and that happens fairly often in my life, doing what I do, okay, I don't get all huffy and retort back and attack them in return. I just say, go ahead. God bless you. Have a good day. And I turn the other cheek that way. If somebody insults you, give the insult to God. Because you know why? God heard it. Romans 12, 19 says, Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Don't take the law into your own hands. What has God said? He will repay those who deserve it. Did everybody catch that? When somebody insults you wrongly and you give it to God, what does God say? He will repay to those who deserve it. Somewhere down the road, somehow, someday, some way, God repays it. So I trust myself to God. And I trust the insults to God. And I trust being wronged to God. And I turn the other cheek that way. If that's the way you want to talk to me or handle me, go right ahead. I'm leaving it to God. God heard every word you said or he saw every action you took. So I'm leaving it to God. I'm trusting him. Have you ever tried that? You ever tried it? I'm going to tell you a story. This is a true story. When I was pastoring in East Texas, um, we built our first house. And the man that built it w was wonderful to us. He was a member of my church. Uh, he was wealthy. And then one day I woke up and realized I haven't seen him in church in quite a while. I wonder how he is. And then, now this, it was, the house sat on four acres. So I was, I had no neighbors. It was where the deer and the antelope really did play. Okay. Uh, and so one day I look out my window and way down at the end of my property, there he is. And he is guiding workers to drive stakes in the ground. And it's very clear. He plans on building something. 
I haven't seen him in months. Okay. So that's weird. I'm going to go talk to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to me, clear as a bell, and said, leave him alone. He intends to do you harm. Give him to me every day. Just like that. Give him to me every day. He intends to do you harm. Don't talk to him. Give him to me every day. So every day, they're out there doing more right on my property line. And I'm knowing I'm getting a real grieving. Something is up here. What is he up to? Gave him to God every day, every single day. And I just went on to work. The work continues. Now I'm seeing uh, 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 wood be put down. Trees felled. He's clearly got plans for the land right next to me. One day, I got up to go to church. And my late wife, Kathy, had gone before me to church. So I'm there alone. I just got my suit on. That's when we wore suits to church. I just got my suit on. I was getting ready to go. And a knock comes on my front door. And I look out. It's him. His name was Joe. Joe. It's Joe. I haven't talked to him in months, probably half a year by now. He hadn't been in church. So I thought, do I open it or do I not? Holy Spirit, open it. I believe in the direction of the Holy Spirit. I believe he'll protect you and guide you. I really do. So this is now a couple of months down the road where every day I've given him to God. I open the door. He hands me a white envelope. He said, here, take this. And I said, what is it? He says, the deed to the land next to you. Give me $1. I got to show the court that you gave something for it. It was two acres for a buck. And now let me tell you, here's what he said. Jeff, I intended to do you harm. Same words. What were you going to do? I was going to build low-income housing next to yours to ruin your value. Why? I don't know. Well, I knew. I found out later there were a lot of things going on in his life that were dark and sinful. But here's the thing. I said, why would you give me the land? He said, it's the only way I can clear my conscience. So I want to give you the land I was going to use to hurt you. And I said, what brought you to this place? And he said, I came here last week. And on the way here, I had a heart attack. And in the ambulance, God spoke to me and said, leave him alone. True story. I'm sitting here holding a white envelope in my blue suit, stunned. My eyes are like saucers. I'm going, and he said, and I knew that if I didn't stop, God was going to deal with me. So this is how I get it right. Take it. That thing was in my pocket before you could count to three because I didn't want anything to stop him getting a clear conscience and us being right. But here's the thing. He was slapping me every day down there doing this. 
And so figuratively speaking, I turned the other cheek. I didn't do anything. I gave it to God. Now, I'm not telling you you're going to get two acres and that God's going to bless you if you, if you give God judgment. But it's a, it's a pretty uh, uh, major testimony to when you give somebody that's wronging you, that's slapping you to God. And you're his child. God hears it. He sees it. And he deals with it according to his own good judgment. Amen? I love what the great Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote after he was robbed one night. He wrote this. Let me be thankful first because he never robbed me before. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, because although he took all I possessed, it wasn't much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And what did he do? He turned the other cheek. That's how you do it. That's what it means to turn the other cheek. You you let them do what they're going to do, not hitting you physically, but I'm talking about when they're coming at you, You turn the other cheek. You don't retaliate. You don't take vengeance. You give it to God. Very quiet in here tonight. I feel questions coming on at the end. Then Jesus takes it further. Whoever should compel you to go a mile, go too. Hmm. Now, in Jesus' day, post offices were unknown. There was no UPS. There was no Amazon. There were no post offices. In order, so in order that royal commands to the public might be delivered with safety and speed in different parts of the Roman Empire, the Caesars would station horsemen at various intervals uh, along the great public highways of Rome. So there were messengers every so many miles, and they rode on horseback, Okay. Now, one messenger delivered the message to another. They sort of handed the baton off uh, one after another. And the Caesar's decrees were this way, rapidly and safely communicated to whoever they, they sent a message to. Now, these messengers were permitted by the Roman government to press any horse, any person, any boat, any ship, or any other vehicle that they might need for the quick transmission of the king's commandments. They could stop you no matter what you were doing and say, help me deliver this message. Go with me a mile. And they could command them to go a mile. This is what Jesus was referring to. So you got somebody going to get lunch and, or he's running to the store for his family. Here comes uh, one of these messengers. Hey, You can do that later. Right now, walk a mile with me and help me deliver this message. And they had to do it. It was law. Jesus said, rather than reacting with a negative attitude, because that would not make your day, can I have an amen? If you were busy doing something else, that would not make your day. But he said, instead of reacting with a negative attitude, uh, tell them, not only will I go with you a mile, but I'll go with you a second. For the record, one mile was a 1,000 steps, two miles, 2,000 steps. So here's the thing. How many 
messengers were one to Christ by somebody that was stopped, a Christian that was stopped and said, walk with me a mile. First mile, it's your duty. Second mile, why are they doing this? Barriers begin to fall down. They're not resenting me. Their attitude is great. And they're not only going a mile, they're going 2,000 steps instead of 1,000. How many of those messengers were saved because somebody went that second mile? That's the idea. I don't know how much you look at YouTube. I look, I see these arrests happen on YouTube where people just give these cops all kinds of grief for daring to even pull them over. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about uh, go the 2,000 steps and see if it doesn't open a door. Give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Again, these words are designed to lead us uh, out of unwise decision-making. In other words, he is not telling us anytime somebody wants to borrow something, just do it. There is no way because soon you'll have nothing because they'll take everything from you. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, he's teaching the spirit. He's talking about keeping a loose grip on the things of this world. If somebody wants to borrow from you, if you can, and if it's okay, and if it's not unwise, if they don't make a, a living begging and borrowing instead of doing something with their life, if you're meeting a legitimate need, keep a loose grip on the things of this world. Have a spirit of giving. But don't literally give to anybody at any time who wants anything. Not wise. Amen. This suffering, listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2.21. This suffering is all part of the work God has given you. Christ who suffered for you is your example. Follow in his steps. Look what it says about Jesus. He never sinned. He never told a lie. Not one time, not even a little white lie. He never answered back. Did you catch that? He never answered back when insulted with an insult. He always just spoke truth. He never insulted back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten to get even. Did you catch that? He left his case. Everybody read this with me. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Chapter 3, verse 9. Got to keep going. It's so good. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't snap back at those who say unkind things about you. Instead, pray for God's help for them. For we are to be kind to others, and God will bless us for it. If you want a happy, good life. Anybody here want a happy, good life? All right. Keep control of your tongue and guard your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Try to live in peace even if you've got to run after it to catch and hold it. Even if you've got to chase peace down and get a headlock on it, pursue peace over conflict. Is this good for the home? 
Now we're coming to the close. Next we come to more kingdom responses to personal injustices. Uh, there's just one or two, and I'm going to cover them briefly. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, folks, that's not an easy word to obey. Because when you're being persecuted, it's generally for something that's not true or right or fair or just. All right? You're being persecuted for your faith. So he says, pray for them. Pray for them. All right. Um, our first reaction to being persecuted is to retaliate, to stand up for yourself, to, to fight back, to confront the accuser, and deliver insult for insult, wrong for wrong. That's our flesh. Okay? So why should we respond this way? Praying for our persecutors. Jesus said that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Every single day, God sends sunshine and need, needful rain on those that are blaspheming his name, cursing him, not living for him, not honoring him, persecuting the righteous, he still sends blessing on them. This is how God treats the ungrateful, the unthankful, the blasphemer, the wicked person. This is how God treats them. He's good to them. And here's why. Paul tells us, don't you realize how patient he is being with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see he's been waiting all this time without punishing you? to give you time to turn from your sin. People interpret the goodness of God as him putting his seal of approval on their lifestyle. Well, I'm living in a way that the Bible says I shouldn't, but look at how good God is being to me. And they misinterpret his goodness as approval. But it's not. His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Amen? So next time somebody is living a wrong lifestyle says to you, well, God's good with me. He blesses my socks off. Say, he's only hoping you repent. He's only doing it to show you his love in hopes you repent. But if you don't repent, you're going to perish in your sin. You're going to die in your sin. Jesus says, big deal if you love those that love you. What reward are you going to get for that? Everybody loves those that love them. You like me, I like you. You love me, I love you. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, you're not doing anything more than others do. Baptists greet Baptists. Methodists greet Methodists. Pentecostals greet Pentecostals. And who is everyone else? I love my own. But how hard is it to love that person out there with purple hair, covered in tattoos, living in sin? They stink. I heard Jim Cymbala tell this story, and I'll close. He said, one night we were finishing prayer night, Tuesday night, and a man came down to the altar, and I smelled him before I saw him. He was off the street, and I was immediately revolted. He said, I can't tell you how bad it was. But then the Spirit of God said to me, love him. 
So I breathed deep, went down, took his hand. What can I pray with you about tonight? The man said, I'm living in the street. I don't have anything. I heard you talking about Jesus. Now, symbol is in Brooklyn, New York. So he said, so I wandered in here. I've been on the street, you know, I forget, a long, long time. I have nothing. Well, you can have Jesus. He said, I'll pray with you. Now, when Simbola told this, he said, now let me show you something. Joe, stand up. And there was a man, well-dressed, looking all cleaned up, all nice. He said, that's him. That's the one I loved. When he smelled so bad, I couldn't get near him. So if you... Love only those who love you. You haven't done anything. But if you love those that don't love you, that are revolting to you, that you can't identify with at all, now you're the son or the daughter of your father in heaven. Amen? All right, I had a little quick. Next time, next time. Right motives for spiritual practices. Why are you doing what you're doing? That's next time. But does anybody have a question? We're doing great on time. Let me take two or three quick questions if anybody has one. Uh, anything that I've said or anything you've wondered about? Does anybody have a Bible question? <laughs> I should have framed it. Looking back, I should have framed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, you better believe I had a dollar. I think I gave him a five because I didn't have a one. But I'm, I'm paying for, you know, two acres for next to nothing. So it was really incredible. And I did pray for him a lot later because everything in his life fell apart later. He lost a lot of his wealth. Yes. All right, I have two questions for you. Okay. The first question I have is the book of Psalms. Mm -hmm. Is that more of a future-telling book because it quotes the words of Jesus Christ before he even died on the cross? And also talked about um, Judas also. So did somebody else go through the same thing Jesus went through in Psalms or was this a? No, that's Psalms 22 where it's an amazing prophecy. It's truly one of the great evidences of the Bible being the word of God. Because in Psalms 22, he says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, they have cast lots for my garments. It's totally, purely, amazingly messianic. Everything that happened at the cross was predicted in the Psalms. So it was pointing to Christ. Uh, Judas as well. He that, uh, uh, my, my, if it had been, if it had been um, an enemy, I could have borne it. The betrayal. If it had been uh, somebody totally against me, I could have, I could have withstood it. But it was you, a friend, a companion that turned on me. That's messianic because it was Judas who had followed him three years and some change. He had followed him. He's the one that turned on him. And now in the Psalm, David's talking about Ahithophel. But it's one of those Psalms where there's, it's double pronged because it's pointing down to when Messiah was betrayed with a kiss by somebody who had watched the miracles been with him three, three years. So the Psalms were prophetic. It's not talking about somebody else to come. That's it. The, the Psalms are very messianic in many different places. Does that help? Yes. And my second question okay. is, 
What does Rose of Sharon mean? Rose of Sharon. It's, it's a description of, of Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley. Metaphorically, it's a biblical description of Jesus. I am my beloved's and he is mine. Um, Song of Solomon, speak. So when you talk about the Rose of Sharon, it's referring to somebody precious, a precious flower. That's what Jesus is to me. Uh, he's my beloved. I'm his. Lily of the Valley, that's another beautiful metaphorical description of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, I think all of us in here that love the Lord could say, um, think of the most precious thing to you. It can't hold a candle to him. All it can be is a slight uh, uh, attempt to compare him to something precious and valuable. So that was the Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley. That's what it's referring to. All right. Any other questions? Going, going, gone. Let's stand up. Oh, here's one. I'm sorry. Wonderful. Thank you. Amen.